Good morning, church family. God is good. And all the time, God is good. Good to see many of you here this morning, and welcome to those I haven't seen in a while. It is good to see your faces and good to be together to worship the Lord. I want to turn our attention to a prayer that we pray together uh, as we prepare our hearts to hear the word of the Lord. One of the things that I am more and more seeking in my own uh, prayer life is to develop the attentiveness uh, to the reality that God says when we pray, He hears. I know that sounds simplistic. Well, yeah, He does. But how often has prayer simply been reduced to something we do and kind of shoot it up with this hopefulness that perhaps God hears? But this morning, I want to remind us that the very gift of prayer, and hence the reason why we pray together, is we are exercising faith in a God who is intimately involved in our lives, deeply concerned about our challenges, and so desperately longing for us to be His people. At the fundamental level of communication in prayer is not just that we say things, ask things, hope for things, but that we believe God speaks. Let us pray together. Living God, by Your Holy Spirit, Open our eyes to see the new light of this day. Open our lips to tell of the empty tomb. Open our hearts to believe the good news. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Acts chapter 2, reading from verse 1 through to 21. Hear the word of the Lord. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together. That's all the disciples in one place. And suddenly, from heaven, there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues, as of fire, appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them, all of them, I have it three times in my Bible, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now they were devout Jews from every people under heaven living in Jerusalem, and at the sound the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed. Listen to the descriptors here. They're bewildered. Now they are amazed and they are astonished. They asked, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? 
And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes those converted to Judaism. Cretans, we'd like to be from Crete, you Cretan. And Arabs, in our own languages we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. No, but yes. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them, fellow Jews and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women in those days, I will pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show portents in the heaven above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The word of the Lord. think I need a bigger pulpit. I already have my own little table, and every Sunday, Michaela and Mo takes over my little table. <laughs> I don't have a purse. I, when, I, when I first moved here, I had what I now believe was called a European carry-all. You Canadians just told me you're carrying a purse. (laughs) And so I have all these things that I'm always lugging around, and and my wife, whenever we go somewhere, her purse becomes the receptacle for all the things I don't want to carry myself. Nonetheless, today marks a significant day on the Christian calendar. For some of us who don't come from traditions that follow and celebrate these particular feasts, I want to encourage you to recognize there's a gift in joining with the church across the regions of the world in celebrating and listening to the same Scripture. For it is Jesus that makes this this plea that we may be one. And by we, He does not just mean you and I at Skyview. He is speaking of a desire for the church to be united, for the church to reflect the kind of unity that is only possible through the Spirit of God Himself. 
So on this day, we celebrate Pentecost. Pentecost celebrated 50 days after the Passover feast. The people of Israel had several feasts they celebrated. Three significant pilgrim feasts. The first one was Passover. Passover celebrated the liberation of God's people from Egyptian slavery. And so, still to this day, our Jewish brothers and sisters commemorate over a meal by eating intentionally things that would help them remember that night when God set them free through His power from Pharaoh's grip and dominion. And as they eat together, they remember God's saving and liberating power. I think that there's much to learn from remembering what God has done. There is much faith that is generated from the kind of remembering that teaches us that when it seemed like there was no way, God made a way for His people. Some of us sitting here today, we don't have to remember too far back. Some of us have to think perhaps years back to a time where personally we sensed and perceived the darkness that is around us and in our world and perhaps even touching our lives. But for the grace of God to bring liberation, to bring hope, to bring freedom, and to bring salvation. In this community and those watching online, there are people who can testify to God liberating them from things that held them back. And like the people of Israel, we are invited to remember in a good way, not locating God's power only back then, but recognizing as we remember what He has done there, He is still able to do now. Yeah. Passover, the first feast. They also celebrated what was called the Feast of Tabernacles the Hebrew, Sekuth. This celebrates the wandering of the people in the desert, and during that wandering, the creation of these little tents, including the tent of meeting, where it is said that the power and the presence of God was made known to the people with a flaming pillar of fire. When they celebrated this feast, they remembered that the God who liberated them from Egyptian slavery did not just liberate them and leave them, but that He was a God who was on the move with His people, that even in the desert, He was there. What a great festival to remember. <laughs> I want to say that again because I think that's one of my best points. Sorry to disappoint you. Even in the desert of liberation, God is there. Some of us understand personally what that might feel like. Some of us sense that perhaps it seems that the church is in a wilderness these days. Don't say amen now. Some of us might feel that our lives are no longer what it's been. 
In fact, yesterday I was reading an article, and the author made the point that the best thing most of us can do following all that has preceded over the last, uh, all that has happened over the last several years, is to recognize that life will not be what it has been. And with the disappointment that that brings comes a reality that opens up the possibility to say, if it will not be what it has been, in faith and trust in the God of our past and present and future, we as the church can still have hope because He is still God. Like the people of Israel, we are invited as the church to remember the God who dwells with us even in the desert. That's good, isn't it? And then we come to the Shavuot, the festival of weeks, or even later named Pentecost. It is at this festival that we have this remarkable manifestation, theophany, if you will, of God's revealed presence. Biblically speaking, the festival of weeks or first fruits was a festival in which the people returned to God the first fruits of their harvest, making this declaration that anything that grows and all that has given us life and sustains us comes from the God who is faithful to provide for us. Here's some of the principles behind tithing, giving to the mission and the work of God in the church, is rooted in this understanding that the people of God has seen everything they have and were able to have as a gift made possible by God. We do not give out of a sense of being twisted into giving or guilted into giving of our money or our time of ourselves, but it is rooted in a deep understanding that indeed all that we have and who we are is because of who God is and what He has made possible. Festival of Weeks, are you still with me? A lot of history today. Festival of Weeks later on also became a time in which they celebrated the giving of the law. Now, the reason they did this was because some rabbis looked back to the time when Moses was atop Mount Sinai, and God gave him the commandments. They look at the time that this happened, the third month of the year then, and they determined that it was around the same time of this festival and feast. And so, at this festival, they would read Exodus 19 and 20. They would together remember the time where God gave the people His Word for their life so that they may live in His ways. But this is something even more interesting. This festival also included the reading from this obscure little book called Ruth. At first glance, you would think that a festival that celebrates the first harvest, reading from Ruth makes sense because it was a harvest time that things happened in Ruth's life. But the major theme of Ruth was this, 
that the person, Ruth herself, who was outside of, quote unquote, the Hebrew people, became a significant figure in the salvation of God's people through her faithfulness and her obedience to the God of the people that she did not even belong to. In this sense, this First Fruits Festival anticipates what God will make true through Pentecost. That is, that through His Spirit, He will draw all people unto Himself. That's good preaching. Come on now. That's a lot of research in five minutes. Don't look at your watch. It was longer, but five minutes makes you feel more comfortable. During this feast, Jewish men, along with their families, would flood to Jerusalem. There would be a lot of activity, anticipation, and even excitement. Perhaps another word to describe is it would be chaotic. I don't know about you, but since we've gone through this time of isolation and quarantine, being in groups feels a little weird. No? Sometimes I find myself thinking, should we be doing this? <laughs> Sometimes I find myself wanting to withdraw. But the setting in Jerusalem is one of activity, anticipation, and expectation, except for this group of disciples who had walked with their Messiah, had seen Him crucified, had seen Him resurrected, had seen Him tell them to go to Jerusalem and wait for His Spirit, had gone and seen Him ascend, and now are waiting for what Jesus said would happen. And then comes the Spirit of God, and falls upon these men. Let me clarify that in this case, it is good to just refer to them as men because they are slow in the uptake to what Jesus is doing. God is always ahead of them. God is always inviting them to catch up. And when the Spirit falls upon these men, the Spirit does in them what they could not do for themselves and empowers them to do that which they had longed for but had the inability to do. And a festival that commemorates the people giving back to God is turned on its head by a God who gives to the people His very greatest gift. I want to pause for a moment because I have points to my sermon. I'm not entirely pointless. Tough crowd. <laughs> Tough crowd. People like you and me have different perspectives of what the church is. On the day of Pentecost, we are invited to see what the church truly is, but seeing by seeing how the church was truly birthed. By the power of God, these men are given what they need, not simply to have the gift of speaking multiple languages. Some were surprised last week 
when I spoke Afrikaans to a South African who showed up here uh, and that I just got to meet recently. And, and I thought, man, I, it's kind of neat to impress people when you're bilingual. Uh, but what is impressive here is that God takes men, fills them with their, His power, and enables them to speak the message of hope of Jesus Christ in a culture that did not understand who He was. The church is defined not as a building or as a worship service or even as an experience. The church in Acts is defined as a people filled with God's Spirit, empowered to take the message into the world so that the world would be saved. It's incorrect to say, we're going to church. You know that. Because the church is not a place. It is incorrect to speak of the church as a building. Because what God birthed by His Spirit did not lead the disciples to initially go and build buildings and stay in places. It moved them by His power into mission for the sake of the world so that others would come to experience the grace that they had come to know. This morning, I want to say this to us. On the day of Pentecost, God confronts us with the same opportunity He gave His disciples to be recipients of His Spirit and to see ourselves as His church, a people called to go. This particular text has so much to say. I have been around the church long enough to know that this is a favorite text for some traditions, emphasizing the gift of glossolalia, or the ability to speak in other languages. I want to suggest to you that sometimes we can get caught up with the secondary instead of the primary. The primary is... The God who gives His Spirit, the words used, pours out His Spirit so that His Spirit would be poured out through the church. The purpose of the Spirit's gift is for the mission unto the world. So in this sense, Pentecost is more than a moment. It launches a movement. Some of you know this, but for those who don't know, Luke, the gospel author, also writes Acts. In fact, we believe that as we study the Scriptures that you have to kind of read them as volume 1 and volume 2. In Luke's gospel, Jesus is born and His whole ministry and activity culminates in Jerusalem. I thought I'd get a little bit smart on you, and I know I'm going to abuse the words, I'm going to make it work for me. I think I'm using it right. Jerusalem is like the centripetal force. You impressed? Did I get it right? 
the sense that God's work and activity is moving ever the more closer to the center that is Jerusalem because there it is where he would be crucified and raised. In fact, when you study Luke's gospel, you get the sense that everything is moving in on Jerusalem. It is there in Jerusalem that Jesus would be confronted, accused, falsely accused. He would be tortured. He would be hung on a cross. But it is also there in Jerusalem where he'd be raised from the dead. And he would appear to his disciples. You know what happens in Acts? In Acts, what happens in Jerusalem, the power that is the resurrection life of Jesus Christ moves outward to Judea, Judea and Samaria and hence to all the world. In, in other words, if you read Acts, Luke and Acts together, this is how the gospel message is told. That this Jesus who has come to take upon himself the sins of the world in Jerusalem dies there so that he life for everyone, and those who receive the resurrection power spirit of Jesus Christ, those are the ones that are empowered to go to Judea and Samaria and to Calgary and to Cape Town and to the ends of the earth, speaking this word that God overcame Satan's sin and death, and therefore everyone who puts Jesus first will experience that hope of liberation and participate in His healing work for the sake of the world that He loves and that He made. Luke draws us in, acts, pushes us out. What would happen when we apprehend the biblical story in this new light? What would happen if we start to think of the church in this life-giving way? I want to suggest to you that today there's a few things before I answer my own question that the day of Pentecost invites us to respond to. Today is a good day for the Spirit to do some liberating work in all of us. If you are bound, if you are stuck, if it feels dark and the weight of the world feels heavy, the Spirit is present. I think today is a good day for the Spirit of God to transform fear into faith. To take that which makes us anxious, that which makes us afraid, that which makes us self-reliant, think that it's entirely up to us to do that which only God can do, and to learn to pray a prayer that disciples have prayed throughout the, the history of the church and Christianity, come Holy Spirit, fall afresh upon us. Challenge the things that make us afraid and give us the boldness and courage to live in your ways. Today is a good day to trust that the Spirit can enable us to share our faith in a world that does not speak the language of faith. Many of us, we say, well, you know, I, 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 I like the church being a place because if it's a place, I, don't, I, I, just, I, I can speak that language there. I can say Christian-y things like sanctification. Some of you are going, sancti, what? <laughs> Redemption. I can speak that language there, but Stu, when I leave that, that place, that language makes no sense. You know what? 
Acts teaches us and the Pentecost teaches us is that the same Spirit that gave the disciples the ability to speak in the native language of those represented there is the same Spirit that can empower the tongue of this church, this community, to speak the hope of Jesus in a vernacular that this world needs to hear. And just in case we think, it's just about what we say. Over the last several weeks, we have heard how Pentecost moved Peter and Paul, Lydia, and raised Dorcas. We, we, we heard how the Spirit speaks not just through words, but through acts of power and healing and liberation. We have seen what Pentecost does when it is not just an experience for ourselves, but a movement for the sake of the world. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Today is the day to welcome, to receive, to celebrate the Spirit of God that is with us. And today is a good day to remember what the church or who the church truly is. I understand. It's easy to keep the implications of the church to structures and meetings. I understand it's easy to live our life that way. Jesus on Sunday mornings. It is easy to think of Pentecost as either a historical moment or something that only happens in charismatic churches. <laughs> it is harder to conceive that Pentecost celebrates something that definitively happened and that is the very DNA of who we are called to be. Here's the biggest challenge. Most of us live as if the Spirit does not indwell us. Most of us live as if this, and I have to be honest, when you hear violent wings and winds and you hear the kind of ecstatic experience, perhaps for some of us this, this removes the reality of the Spirit's presence from our own experience, for we have not had these kinds of powerful moments, but perhaps there are some who have. And yet, if we remember from the Old Testament, the prophet who flees after he was successful in defeating the enemies of God on Mount Carmel, discerns that God is not in the violent winds and in the thunder, but in the gentle whisper. It is true that God can reveal Himself in our lives in magnificent ways, in powerful ways. In fact, there are people in this church that I've met over the years that have spoken to me about some incredible, sensational experiences of God. And for people who do not, you know, live primarily out of their experience, we get a little, we get a little nervous. You know what I love about the Spirit is the Spirit is not controlled by us. You know why the reason is we don't want to be a spiritual people is because we like to have control. We like to be in charge. Whenever we have testimonies that we cannot explain or account for, we want to explain and account for it, not because we think that's the only way to understand it, but that's the only way to control it. And yet, the Spirit has miraculously 
transformed lives. The Spirit of God has also spoken to people here. In difficult places, difficult times, sometimes gently, sometimes through a whisper, sometimes through a sermon. Can you believe that? You're not supposed to laugh that much on that point, the three of you. I saw that. But we don't, we don't, we don't live... We don't live a Christian faith that is simply cerebral or simply located here or simply about our own abilities, strengths. Look, when life sucker punches you, and it does, doesn't it? Can I get an amen to that? And you come to the end of your ability and your understanding. It is often in those moments where you recognize and where I recognize our need of God. I want to close with some more comments. I haven't preached for three weeks, do you notice? Pentecost is a time in which what God had begun is being fulfilled. What God had planned all along, He's now doing. I want to say this to us as good readers of Scripture, that the Old Testament is not kind of old in the sense that we don't need it. The Old Testament reminds us that what God begun, He is faithful to bring unto completion. When we read Scripture, we do not read it discounting the people who God first called as His own in this great plan of salvation and redemption. We see a God who is faithful to use a people that are often fallible, incapable of living up to the dream, the hope, and through His faithfulness to bring them to who they need to be. Remember when I told you that following the resurrection of Jesus, one of the remarkable changes in disciples is they read Scripture differently. And here we have an incredible example. They now saw the Old Testament in light of the new creation and what Jesus has done. Here, Peter shows us the resurrection of Jesus and the power of the Spirit converged to help him see in the Old Testament prophet that which he had not seen before. And when we hear the Scripture this way, we don't only think about what is to come. We realize that Peter is testifying to what has happened this is what was spoken, he says. Through the prophet Joel, in the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. That's what's happening here. And your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams, Pastor John. Timothy, Peter, Paul. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, Dorcas, enslaved girls set free by the apostles, that I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy, and I will show portents in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. Perhaps even here, what happens on the day that Christ was crucified? And the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone, then everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord 
shall be saved. I want to close. And God's people says, we don't want you to, but we're grateful you are. Amen? I'm helping you to be honest. When the church is more than just a place or a service, we begin to realize that God wants to bring His hope into our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our schools, our friendships, and our families. To my question, what may thinking about the church as us, as a movement, made possible by God's Spirit mean? Here's a few things I think it would mean for you and for me. There would be consistency and continuity between who we are here and who we are outside these walls. We don't stop being Christian when we leave the presence of Christians. We don't stop being the church when we leave worship services. In fact, when the church is a movement and not just a place or a building, we become attentive and open to the leading of the Spirit of God in our daily lives. We recognize that God is at work in our world and beckons us, as He did the disciples, to wait on His Spirit. We pray more fervently for those we meet seeing them through the redemptive hope and lens of Jesus Christ as those that He has called us to reach, love, and serve. We begin to see that there is no separation between our places of work, school, our hobbies, our spare time, and being a people called to be filled with God's Spirit and to proclaim the name of Jesus wherever we go. I fear that in the absence of a biblical understanding of the church, we are tempted to make the church anything but a movement, and we make it about ourselves. I say hard things when I preach, not because I enjoy it, I say hard things that convict me as much as I hope it convicts you because we take our pace and our direction from what God has done through Jesus Christ and what He has called us to become. In closing, I now feel like my dad. <laughs> he said that word, those words, but he never meant it. <laughs> I do. try to name some of the fears that would keep us from being the movement God has called us to. Stu, the world is a scary place. We like to think about what happens down south, right, as bad and wicked. We don't have to look down south to realize the world is a scary place even here. I have three teenagers. I call them the trinity of love and grace. <laughs> they need both. 
I worry about them. Don't you worry about your kids? Here's what I've discovered. I've discovered that fear can make me live in non-God-honoring ways. You know what the Scripture says, and the Apostle Paul says it, you know, God did not give us a spirit of fear. In fact, in, 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 in the epistle of in, in 1 John, we, we read the Scripture that greater is He, greater is He that is in us than he that is in the world. I want to say something very, very important. We say we believe this, but we do not live as if it is true. Our fear is greater than our faith in the one who is promised that he is with us. If you find yourself this morning living a life shaped by fear, I want to invite you to believe the Scripture and the witness of Jesus. Greater is He that is in us. Greater is He that is in us than he that is in the world. Here's another fear. I, I don't know how to speak about the Bible. You, you pastors types can do that. You know that there's... Uh, you know, 27 books in the New Testament and 39 in the Old. Did I get that right? <laughs> that would be awkward, isn't it? <laughs> Wouldn't it? Uh, Stu, I, I, I don't know enough about the Scripture to argue my way into convicting anybody. Let me just offer you just a word of encouragement right now. First of all, if you are if you uh, uh, think that that is the purpose of sharing the faith of Jesus, is to argue people into the kingdom, you're not going to win. Nobody gets argued into it. Here's what I believe we need. It's going to sound really, really pastoral. We need to pray that God gives us the ability to share His faith in who we are, and with what we know and even in what we do not know. For ultimately, we are not sharing with people to convince them of how smart we are. We are sharing with people to show them the Savior that found us. When you start thinking about the people around you in your life, begin there. The people you work with, the people you play with, those are the people that already know you. They know you're not some whack job, hopefully. They know that you are a kind person, hopefully. Listen, by the way, man, I, I, it's okay. I, I'm not going to apologize for this. It amazes me that when the church is not a movement and we are not the church, how we can act in non-Christian ways to people out there and expect them to believe what we proclaim in here. You know, the simple act of going through a drive through and being courteous and kind. I've sat behind cars that have the ichthus, the little fish on the back, and when I hear how horrid they treat the people in there, I'm glad that they can't see the fish on the back of the bumper. Psst. 
the ability to speak the hope of Jesus Christ is not just about how much we understand and know. It is about the character that is being formed in us by the Spirit of God so that in our encounters with people, whether inside the building or outside the building, the fruits of God's Spirit shows love, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. These things that the world says is weakness, but that God through His power and His Spirit alone can enable in even the hardest of hearts and the impatient and those lacking kindness and those who are not gentle. And finally, Stu, if I was to live as a Christian outside the walls of a church building and share Jesus with others, I will be rejected. Yes, not everybody's going to want to hear it. Even Jesus was rejected, and he was awesome. I'm not as awesome as Jesus. But like the disciples and like Jesus who were rejected by some, there were also many who believed on account of their witness. By what we've heard about who the church is, the question that is asked of us, Skyview Church, of the Nazarene, you ever wondered why, Nazarene? Our church was birthed by those who ministered to the least of these in Los Angeles, in Skid Row. The people that were destitute, the poor, the hungry, the prostitute, the drug dealer. So present was the church with these people that the only name that seemed fitting was the name Nazarene, a place that Jesus is said to come from, a place that in the biblical world was a place of nobodies. The church that we are a part of was founded in the character and the spirit of Jesus the Nazarene who came so that everyone would hear, experience, and know the grace of God. As our worship team comes to close our service, I want to pray a prayer, would you bow your heads with me? Father, your spirit came and your church was born in wind and fire and words of power. Your spirit came blowing fear aside and in its place, weak hearts were made stronger. 
The Spirit came as your word foretold with dreams and signs, visions and wonders. The Spirit came and is here today to feed the hearts of your people and a hungry world. We ask, Lord, for your forgiveness. When we forget the power that lies within us and trust instead upon our own human strength. Remind us of that glorious day when your Spirit transformed the lives of those who hid in fear into people of power and witness. Renew our hearts which have grown cold with flames of fire as on that day of Pentecost. Come, Holy Spirit, that this, your people, might be the church you died for. In Jesus' name, would you stand as we sing?